Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity Community Church. How are you doing today? That's what I thought. Everybody looks a little sleepy today. That's okay. You know sleep's good, right? Just not today, not now, right? We got to wake up a little bit. How many of you know that we are about to engage and meet with the God of the universe? I don't think you know that, do you? <laughs> it's true. It's right in front of us. How many of you came in here today with a need? You came in here today with knowing somebody that has a need. How many of you know somebody that needs to encounter a living God? That's why we exist, beloved. That's why we suck air. So do me a favor. Bow your heads for a second. Let's invite God to grab a hold of our hearts this morning. I believe this morning God is going to do ridiculous things if you let him. For some of you, God's going to shift your entire way of seeing him today if you let him. So let's just give God permission to do that right now. Holy Spirit, we pray in this moment that you would shift our hearts. Let us be tender to you, Lord. We pray that, Father, you'd open our eyes. We pray that, Father, you would help us to be in step with what you want to do in us and through us today. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what you want to do in us. In your name. And everybody said. How many of you know that sometimes we pray scary and dangerous prayers? These are not like your dinnertime prayers. These are prayers where if God were to answer you, um, he possibly could use you to change the world. That's his heart today. So uh, most of you know we've been in a series over the last, this whole summer called I Am. We're looking at how Jesus described himself. And I'm very excited today because uh, we are at a, one of my most favorite parts of Scripture where Jesus talks about life. Um, I love life. This whole week's been bananas for us. We've had two weddings in the last uh, seven days, eight days, excuse me, festive occasions, all kind of great stuff. And then we've sprinkled into that life things that are just in the life of our family and the church. Uh, Wednesday, if you were here, we had a community night uh, Wednesday. Uh, we had hot dogs. I don't understand this. At home, if I grill on the grill and we make hot dogs and hamburgers, I could probably have a burger and maybe a dog, maybe two dogs. But you take a hot dog, you wrap it in tin foil, and you stick it out for a community event, you take me to the ballpark, I could eat like seven of them. Is anybody here like me? They, I just suck them down. I did. I had seven hot dogs. I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm not proud of this. On Wednesday, I had seven hot dogs. And we played nine square. We did all this stuff. You get to relive stuff. And they had this slide. I, I, does anybody know how big the slide was? Like 300 foot tall. It was huge. And I'm watching the kids go down this slide. It's a water slide. And everybody's having a good time. And the kids are poking at me. Can I pass you? can go down this slide. Finally, I kind of gave in. I said, I'm going to go down this stupid slide. So I, I, I decide I'm going to go down this slide. So I start to climb. The slide was the easy part. That climb was awful. So I start climbing up the slide. How many of you saw the slide? You remember the slide? So I get to the top of it, and I'm watching kids fly down this slide all day. They're having the time of their life. Ooh, little girls, you know, six years old, giggling. Ah, everybody's having the time of their life. So I thought to myself, this is going to be a wonderfully fun experience. So I get to the top of this slide. I could see like you know, Maine from up at the top of the slide. And I decided to go down. Now, I don't have a degree in physics, but I understand some, you know, concepts of physics. Like, I understand the laws of gravity say this. It doesn't matter how big an object is. Gravity is gravity, and it brings you down the same speed as it brings something that's small down. 
I would beg to differ from my experience on that slide. I put my feet over the top of that slide and somehow gravity got a hold of my chunky Greek body and sucked me to the earth. I was flying so fast, I hit the back of it. I thought it was going to shoot me into the cornfield right, right over the thing here. I screamed. Ah, everybody's like, he's having so much fun. I wasn't having fun. I was terrorized. So I do this a couple times, and then I, we do our thing, and I thought, well, that was a nice night. And then I woke up on Thursday, and it felt like a bunch of little Smurfs came in and beat me up all night. You know what I'm talking about? Um, we get a little bit older, things change a little bit. A few years ago, I uh, was having hand issues. I play piano, play guitar, and the last thing you want to do is have hand issues when you do that stuff. Uh, so one of my doctors said, well, you may have carpal tunnel. You ever fight the carpal tunnel kind of thing? So you got to go get tested. Have you ever been tested for carpal tunnel? They take you into a, an office, and they shoot electricity through your nerves to test to see if there's any nerve damage. So I go to my doctor, uh, and they send me to a specialist. And I think the specialist I have was like 16 years old. And he's like, hi. And he's talking to me. I'm like, hi, you know. And he's trying to calm me down. And he, as he's calming me down, he's, he's nervous, so he's just talking. You ever meet anybody like that? So he starts to divulge that, that, that the machine that they have is brand new, and he's not sure how to use it. I'm like, well, this is boating confidence for me, your patient. So that he sat me down in a chair, and they hook up electrodes on your arm, like to your wrist, your fingers, and here. And then they slowly start to inject, like, electricity. And have you ever had, like, a TENS machine, stuff like that? And depending on the electricity, it'll tell you if there's any nerve damage. So they start low, and I'm sitting there in the chair with my arms out like this, and, he, and he's very nice. He says, we're going to start low, and you tell me when you start to feel stuff, and then you tell me when you, when you can't feel stuff. So he hit, and it kind of like, does like that, a little bit of vibration. I'm like, oh, I feel that right there. It's there. Because we're going to turn it up a little bit. Okay, then it shakes a little bit more. We're going to turn it up a little bit more. Okay, then it shakes a little bit more. And he does that about eight times, so he finally gets to the top, and it's pretty intense. Then he, then he says, okay, and he shuts it off, and he writes down some stuff, and they can determine the nerve damage by how they do that. So then he goes to the other side, and he puts the, the little the things on there, and he gets ready to do the same thing, except he forgets to zero out the setting. So he doesn't start little. He just goes from off to on. And it's a true story. He goes, okay, we're going to start off really slow, and he hit the button, and it violently went through my arm so much, my arm contracted, and I hit myself in the face. Have you ever done this? <laughs> I went, ah, like this. And then it doesn't just stop, but it kind of vibrates. So I went, ah, like this. And he shut it off. He goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, this is a true story. I, I wish I could make this stuff up. I can't. And he's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, what, what happened? He goes, I forgot to put that thing down. And I said, okay. He goes, please don't tell anybody. They'll fire me. I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. He said, can we just dial that back? So I went through the whole thing and, and found out that I was fine. I had other issues. But I still remember. When he put that electricity in my arm, I don't know what goes on in this arm. I don't know the, the tendons, and I don't know the muscles. and I don't know, All I know is that when he hit that with electricity, everything in this arm came to life. It reminds me, and sometimes we forget this. When we inject God into our lives, you cannot inject Jesus Christ into your life truly and not be affected. When God comes into your life, everything, everybody say everything. Everything comes to life. If you've not had that experience, I'm going to throw this out there. You may have not really encountered Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and everything changes. In fact, Jesus spoke about this aspect of who he is. Today we're going to focus on Jesus as the resurrection and the life. As believers... 
It's important for us to know and understand when Jesus comes in, everything changes. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. We're going to read a heavy portion of Scripture. It's a great story, but I think we need it for context. <clears throat> if you have our app, if you look up our app, you get all of our notes. If you hit on it, if you've got the U-version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. If you're on Facebook, check in. If you're on Instagram, take a good picture. I don't know the other stuff. If you're on TikTok, do a dance. I don't know. This is, a, this is just a phenomenal story. It's an amazing story of Jesus and an encounter with a guy we all know named Lazarus. John 11, starting at verse 1, says this. In the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary was, was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry his feet with her long hair. One day, Lazarus became sick to the point of death. Verse 3. So his sister sent message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one that you love, is very sick. Please come. They knew where to go when they had issues. Verse 4, when he heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Verse 5, now even though Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, Come, it's time to go to Bethany. Verse 8, but teacher, they said, do you really want to go back there? It was just a short time ago that the people of Judea were there, uh, were going to stone you. Verse 9, Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight in every day? You can go through a day without fear of stumbling when you walk in, uh, in the one who gives light to the world. But you'll stumble when the light is not in you. You'll be walking in the dark. That's a whole other series. We're not even going to talk about that today. Verse 11, Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. It's time to go wake him up, to go and awaken him. Verse 12, when they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if he's just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. At times, Jesus must have been like, oh my gosh, will you guys just follow me here? Verse 13, he says this, Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. Then Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you learn to trust in me. Come, let's go and see him. This is another moment for Jesus and the disciples. This is a moment, this is a window for us in understanding what God can do. Verse 16, so Thomas, nicknamed the twin, remarked to the other disciples, let's go so that we can die with him. They thought this may be the end, them being with Jesus. Now, when they arrived at Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever not known what to do? Have you ever been disappointed sometimes in God's timing? How many of you want God to act right now? How many of you lose your mind when you go to Wendy's and you order a Frosty and you've got to wait for more than two minutes? We live in a mick generation. I want it now, Lord. I want everything now. And sometimes we forget that God's timeline is not your timeline. Our world, our life, we sang a great song this morning, Jesus is the center. If Jesus is your center, that means your life revolves around him, not the opposite. When we serve God, we step back and we say, Lord, I yield everything to you, my time my talent, my treasure, my timing is yours. Why do we trust God with our timing? Because he sees all things. Now, 
That's easy to preach. It's really hard to live out. So you have Mary and Martha struggling with the loss of their son, or their brother, excuse me. Struggling. We see that division here. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, my Lord, if you'd only come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. There's still a kernel of faith. 23, Jesus says, Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. Now, this is interesting. Listen how Martha responds. She replied, yes, I know he'll rise with everyone else on the resurrection day. The pat answer, that's the thing that we say when we don't know what else to say. Verse 25, Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? This is the same thing he asks us today, beloved. Do you believe that Jesus can do what he says he can do? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Verse 27, then Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you're the anointed one, the son of God who has come into the world for us. Then she left and he hurried off to her sister Mary and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her, the master is here and he's asking for you. Isn't it interesting how faith spreads? Hope rises in a person and then hope is something that is caught, not taught. So do me a favor, beloved. Be people of hope. Just like hope spreads like a wildfire, so does fear. So does brokenness. So does being discouraged. Be a person of hope. Choose to believe Jesus is who he says he is. Choose to believe that Jesus is still in control. And choose hope, not fear, not despair. Verse 29, so when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him, for Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha had met him. Now, when Mary's friends who were there comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. When Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you think Mary and Martha had that discussion among themselves? Have you ever had two people say the exact same thing? You're like, I think you guys were talking. If only you were here, Lord. If only you would have done it my way, things would have came out the way I expected. And I love Jesus' heart on this. Verse 33, when Jesus looked at Mary and he saw her weeping at his feet and all of her friends who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. He said to them, where did you bury the body? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. I've had people ask me, why did Jesus cry? He knew what was going to happen. Why did he cry? Why didn't he just, you know, touch him on the shoulder and say, buck up, everything's going to be great. Isn't that what we would do? Keep your chin up, kiddo, everything's going to be great. Why did Jesus cry? You know why Jesus cried? Because he is deeply connected with our sorrow and with our pain. Even though he is the antidote and he has the solution, he is still connected with the pain that you feel. Your pain moves his heart. It does. He doesn't push it away. You're valuable to God. He cares for you. Every tear you cry, you know the Bible says this, your tears are collected in a bottle. Every tear you cry is collected. He knows every one of them in his heart. It's to bring life for all of those tears. He's overcome with emotion and he weeps because our pain causes that reaction in him. He loves us. 
Verse 36. Seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, isn't this the one who opened blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? Everybody's got an idea on how it should be, right? Verse 38. Then Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. Jesus told them, roll away the stone. Then Martha said, but Lord, it's been four days since he died. By now his body's already decomposing. Verse 40, Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you that if you believe in me, you'll see God unveil his power? Verse 41, so they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you've heard my prayer. For you listen to every word that I speak. Now that these who stand here with me will believe that you're the one who sent me to the earth as your messenger, I will use the power you've given me. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had his grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and his feet and covering his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. And look at verse 46. But a few went back to inform the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. Even with somebody being raised from the dead, some celebrated, some struggled because it was out of their paradigm, out of their box. Do me a favor, beloved. Just because the God of the universe, let me say that again. Just because the God of the universe decides to do things that are out of your understanding and out of your box, don't throw those things away. He's God, and we are not. So we just yield to him. What an amazing story. Here again, we see an incredible display of God's power. Not just to heal the sick, but to take on the biggest enemy of them all, death. He brought somebody from death back to life. And in the middle of this story, Jesus makes an incredible declaration of who he is in John eleven twenty five 25, and 26. He says this, I am the resurrection, and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. And then he puts this out to all of us today. Do you believe this? There's something powerful about what you and I believe. So what does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? I mean, they're, kind of, they're like the same thing, aren't they? The resurrection life. They're kind of the same thing. Well, yeah, kind of like really, not really. They're not. They're different aspects to understand who God is. In fact, to understand what Christ fully declared in this moment, you've got to look at two distinct things that flow through the life of Jesus. First, you have to understand this. Jesus is in the resurrecting business. He resurrects. He revives. In short, God loves to bring dead things back to life. You, beloved, are an example of that. He raises dead things. When God comes into the room, things shift. They change. So Jesus states this. He says, I am the resurrection. Now, when we read this, do you really grasp what he's saying here? Or do you struggle to believe? Do you struggle to understand? We see here Martha had a conversation with Jesus, but she struggled to understand fully what he was trying to tell her. Have you ever had um, conversations with God like that? He tells you something, and you think you know what he's talking about, but you really have no clue with what he's talking about. I remember a few years ago, and I've told this story before, 
we had an organization come to our church. Actually, we may have them here someday. I don't know. Called Time to, Re- to Revive. And they, um, they're passionate about going into the community and sharing the gospel. So they would send out teams to go onto the streets and just pray for people and to see people come into the kingdom. Now, this is a, it's not a, it's not a spirit-filled uh, organization. I think it's uh, more Baptist-based. No big deal. So they would send us out on teams, and I was, you know, we were the host church, so we were there, and one of the days, you know, the, one of the directors says, T, I would love to see you go out on a team, because you guys bring something to the table that we're not used to. I said, what's that? He goes, the spirit. And I'm like, well, there. You recognize it, baby, we should get you some of that, right? But that's another story, that's just another story. So I decided to go out with a team, and I'll never forget this, it was me, I was with another guy who was about six foot six, a big uh, pastor in a, in, a, in a non-denominational movement that didn't believe the same things we believed about the Spirit, and one other guy. And we're walking around, and, and I'm just quiet, because I don't want to take over the whole situation, I'm listening to these guys, and they're talking to people about Jesus, and I still remember this, we're by this area of our town, and there's a guy we're walking up on, and he's a pretty rough looking guy, do you know who those, those guys are? They just, you could tell, you're like, that guy's had a lot, a lot of tread on those tower, your tires, you know, a lot, a lot of mileage on that car. And as we're walking up, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to me, and he says, TJ, I'm going to take death, and from death, I'm going to bring life. And I was like, great, that's awesome, Lord, that's great. I have no idea what he's talking about. So as we get closer, he says, I'm going to take death, and from death, I'm going to bring life. Okay, that's God, that's great. So we start to engage this guy, and these guys are talking, and this guy's just sitting there, and, and he's a big guy. He's got tattoos all over the place, and, um, and we're just sitting there, and I'm listening, and, and the Holy Spirit starts to speak, and he says, look at that tattoo on his arm. And he says, TJ, from death, I'm going to bring life. Okay, Lord, I'm looking at the tattoo. I don't know what's going on. From death, I'm going to bring life. So guys are talking, and I can feel the Holy Spirit starting to say, I want you to say something, but I don't know what to say. Have you ever had that, that been in that situation? So I, I, make a, I make a deal with God. You ever make deals with God? I say, Lord, I'll start to talk about something. If, you, if, they, inter, if, you know, if they invite me into the situation, if they say, TJ, do you have something to say? If they do that, I'll open my big Greek mouth, and I'll, but other than that, I'm just going to be like a fly on the wall. So literally, that thought, that prayer goes into my head, and I hear the big guy next to me goes, and TJ, do you have anything else to interject? So I look at the guy, and he's as hard as a rock. And I said, Tim, I said, can I talk to you about your tattoo? And he looked just, I still remember, eyeball to eyeball. What do you have to say about my tattoo? I still remember it. It was, it was a blue, like a blue little box. It had gold wings on the outside. And it had a word there, and I, I didn't know the word. I'd never seen it. I think it was in another language, something like that. There were no numbers. There was nothing like that. And through the power of the Spirit, I just said, you know what? I said, I believe that, that that tattoo, I said, that blue is for a son that you lost. And I watched this mountain of a man, his eyes start to swell. I said, the, the gold wings, you know, I said, he was about two or three. The gold wings, gold was his favorite color, wasn't it? And then he puts his head down and he starts to sob. I don't know any of this stuff. This is, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. This would be a word of knowledge. Again, look at 1 Corinthians 12. It's in there. And I start to tell him about his son. I do. I said, God, and, and you know, he left, this, he, he left. He was about, what, two or three years old? He's two or three. And by this time, this mountain of a man is like, he's like ugly crying. You know what ugly crying is? You know, <laughs> ugly crying. And in that moment, as we were doing this thing, everything kind of clicked in. I'm going to take something, I'm going to move something from death, and from death I'm going to make life. And in that moment, because of how God spoke, listened to him, just about a tattoo, I got to pray with this guy to receive Christ. 
The guy started coming to our church, and I watched his life go from this way to this way. Now, before we had that moment, God was speaking to me, and I had no idea what any of it meant. Maybe I didn't need to know. Maybe he kept it back for just the right time. Maybe he wanted to see if I was going to take a step. I can tell you this. If you told me that story, I'd be like, yeah, that, that's nice. You're probably a little crazy. But here's the challenge that I have. I lived it. I was the guy he was speaking to. I saw the guy with my own eyes. I saw the tears go down his face. I, I saw it all. Sometimes God speaks to us and we don't understand the whole thing. Beloved, that's okay. You can still take a step. And you can trust. Quite possibly, God may want to use you, ordinary person, to do something extraordinary. If you let him. So Martha has this moment. Jesus is talking to her about the resurrection and about the life. But she's not understanding what he's saying. She's just not. She's kind of arguing with Jesus. She's saying, but God, you know what? It would be great if you were just here, my brother would not be dead. Everything would be fine if you would just do things my way or a better way or a way that I can understand. And Jesus interjects to say he sees her, her struggle and he says, your brother will live again. Now this is fascinating. Again, two people communicating Thinking they're on the same page, but they're not. We experience this all the time, not just with God. How many of you have children? How many of you have discussions with your children about cleaning their spaces, their rooms? I get t I, I, it's funny. I'm watching teenagers are like getting slower in their chair. I realized this raising three children. They get the last one who's almost out the door. When I say, I'd like you to clean your room, when I say clean, what that word clean means in my head and what they interpret as clean in their head are as far as the east is from the west. Like when I think of clean, I want something clean. There should be chemicals involved, perhaps a rag, maybe a sweeper, right? Is, parents, are you with me? Right? You know, so maybe something that you could dust with, right? Now, Usually my kids interpret clean as everything's got to be out of sight. Things need to be shoved under the bed. You know, for heaven's sake, don't open the closet. Somebody could die, right? Ah, a mountain of stuff, right? So we're communicating, but are we really communicating? No, we're not. Guys, we have this all the time happen with us with God. Martha has this with Jesus. Martha, if you believe, your brother will live again. And then Martha responds, like a lot of us respond. And she responds and she goes, I know, Lord, you told us at the end, he's going to live again like everybody. We're all going to be okay in the end. Now, this breaks my heart. Why did Martha go here? Because this is where we go and we don't know what to say. This is where we go and we don't know what to do. All of us have done this. I've done this as a pastor. Well, God's ways are not our ways. We'll just want to figure it out. I've done this as I've had to comfort a family that's lost a 12-year-old girl. They come, look, Pastor, why? And you hug them. You say, God's plans are just different than ours. I don't know what to tell you. Martha has gone through the drill. 
She's heard the pad answers before. She has. So she goes there. Why does she go there? Because she doesn't know what else to say. She does this to try to hold herself together, to keep her from being disappointed, to keep her from losing total hope. All of us have done that. All of us have given that answer. But we don't have the power to change the now. That's just where we go. But Jesus is different. Jesus comes to Martha with the power to change the now. He can change the circumstances. He can change any circumstances. He brings something to the table that the world has never seen before. He can deal with sickness. He can deal with pain. He can deal with discouragement. He can even deal with the granddaddy of them all, death. He can look death in the eye and defeat it. He can. So he states this to Martha. I am the resurrection. Now, it's funny. He doesn't say, I resurrect things. He doesn't say, I have the ability to make things that were dead come back to life. He says, I am the resurrection, which means this. He himself is the catalyst for bringing dead things back to life. This is what God does for you, and this is what he does for me as well. He takes the dead parts of us, and he brings us back to life. Physically and spiritually, God raises dead things. God raises dead things. He's in the resurrection business. He starts with us. This is 1 Peter 1.3. He says this, Celebrate with praises to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his Father of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he lives, we live. Because he was resurrected, because he is the resurrection, we are resurrected. And he gives us an invitation to come to him to experience this resurrection, this rebirth. As you walk with him, as you receive his invitation, he raises the dead parts of us. Now. This isn't just some far-off fantasy. He has the power to resurrect things in your life now. He is the power to deal with the now. He raises things up now. Romans 8.11 says this, Yes, God raised Jesus to life, and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, did you hear that? And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. Let that settle in. Do you feel the power of that verse? He'll also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. God takes us from where we were and he breathes life into us. This is his heart for all mankind, for everybody, to see them live again. God raises dead things now. He starts with us. And then it flows from us to other people. We introduce others to this new life in Christ, to be revived, to move from death to life. So here's the first question. Are you experiencing this resurrection in your life? Have you been raised back to life? Have you moved from death into life? Or are you just trying to claw along, hoping to goodness that someday in the end you just might make it by the skin of your teeth? That's not the heart of God for you, and it's not the heart of God for me. Are there parts of your life that have died, that need God's resurrection touch. Do me a favor, just shut your eyes for a second. 
We're not done, so don't fall asleep, dang it. Ask the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Say, Spirit, are there dead things in my life? Some of you have dreams that you, you just had to kill because it caused you too much pain to try to walk them out. God, are there dead parts of my life? Are there dead parts of the relationships that I have? Are there dead parts that I experience with you? And just ask him and hear what the Holy Spirit tells you. Does your faith reflect the resurrection? When God comes in, everything comes to life. If you're not experiencing that, you're experiencing something else. If the Holy Spirit's revealing things to you, just ask him right now and invite him. Say, Lord, those areas of my life that have not been touched by you, I give you permission, Spirit, to touch those things. Bring me back to life. Let's keep going. So Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Why not just stop at resurrection? Because isn't resurrection and life the same thing? Nope. It's not. I know you knew that, right? <laughs> it's not the same thing. He doesn't just revive things. He doesn't just resurrect things. But he also has life in his hands. Now, what does it mean that he is our life? Now, a few weeks ago, I kind of broke down all the different words for life. This is that word zoe. And this actually means this. The Greek word here means life, both physical and spiritual, future existence. The future tense of the Greek. So what does this mean? It means this. God just doesn't raise you up and revive you from death. He just doesn't take you from death and give you, you know, just get that, that heartbeat going again. He also restores and releases in you life for now and for eternity. This isn't just survival he's talking about. This is abundant life, true life, real life. John 10.10 says this, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But listen to this. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Life in its fullness until you overflow. This is the abundant life that Jesus was talking about. This is more than just existing, sucking air, going to work every day, coming home, having dinner, crawling into your bed while you watch Netflix and you fall asleep. That's not the life that Jesus was talking about. The life that he was talking about is that thing that reveals to you why you suck air, your purpose, the understanding of what the creator had in mind when he put you together, when he fastened you together. Now, this is the beautiful thing about that life. You don't have to wait until you die to experience that life. Sometimes in the church, we've taught this, hunker down, because, you know, it's going to stink now. Just hunker down, and then maybe someday, if it stinks enough and you suffer enough, when you die, then you get to experience life. Now, understand me. Are we going to experience life when we die? Absolutely. Ecclesiastes tells us that God put within everybody an eternal seed. Tells us that we're made for eternity. But this word, Zoe means that you don't just get to experience life when you die, but God's heart and his plan for you is to experience life now. 
real purpose, real life, real joy, real health, real peace. When's the last time you experienced real peace? Put your head on a pillow, don't worry about anything peace. That's the peace that God promised us. That's part of the life. So why don't we walk in that? Why don't we walk in God's promises? Peace that passes understanding, life in abundance. Usually when we struggle to walk in these things, it deals with really two things that you and I have to wrestle with. Knowledge and belief. Knowing what God says and then believing in our heart that he can do those things in our life. Let's start with knowledge real quick. Sometimes we don't fully understand what this abundant life that Jesus is talking about really is. Do you know that life is more than an accumulation of stuff? And when I say stuff, I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about even us as people. Do you know the older we get, the wiser we get, we start to accumulate stuff in the ways of respect and being revered. I uh, have done two weddings in the last eight days. And at both times, they come up to me and say, um, what, what do we call you? I said, TJ. No, 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 but your, your title, what is that? I said, well, you can call me whatever you want, but it, I got the surf and turf, right? <laughs> that's, let's just be real. That's the steak and their seafood, right? That's, all, that's what matters, right? No, no, are you, are you pastor? Are you reverend? Are you grand poopa? I remember we went, where did we go? We went to the Elks for something. And have you ever been to the Elks Club? It's like, this is like in Wisconsin. And like they had a picture of the person that is like the, the king of the Elks or whatever that is. And it's like the grand exalted one. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I said, Robin, could you? And she goes, don't even think about it. Just the grand. Well, why do they ask me what do you call me? Well, because as I walk this life, I've accumulated things. Names, titles, experience. All of us, again, accumulate stuff. Is life just the accumulation of your stuff? Your money, your houses, your fame, your renown? Sometimes we get mixed up, beloved, in what true life, real life is. Sometimes that's why we get disappointed. Because we don't understand what this real life is that Jesus talked about. We think it's material. It's not. It starts on the inside of us and it comes out. Isaiah 58, 11 says this, and I love this, this, this verse. Yahweh will always guide you where to go and what to do. He'll fill you with refreshment, even when you're in a dry, difficult place. Now listen to this. He'll continually restore uh, strength to you so you will flourish like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessing. I love that. I just love the language. Even when you're in a dry and difficult place, he'll restore strength to you. You'll flourish like a well-watered garden. Have you ever seen a well-watered garden? My garden looks like Jurassic Park because I water that sucker every day. I got zucchinis the size of like the state of New Hampshire coming in that garden. It's just beautiful. I actually gave one to you guys yesterday. <laughs> it did. It's like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessing. Did that describe your life? Well, you're like, yeah, well-watered garden, that's my life, baby. Did that sound like your life? Are you flourishing? If your life doesn't reflect that, then perhaps from a knowledge standpoint, what you think real life might be flawed. Life has nothing to do with your station in life or even about the things that you have. Life is centered around the condition of your heart. It is. 
Proverbs 4.23 says this, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. From there flows the wellspring of life. Are you experiencing life in the center of your chest? Life is more than stuff. Life flows from the Father to us, and then life flows from us to others. Life is selfless, not selfish. This is why we don't put our faith in stuff. This is why we don't even put our faith in our own abilities. Do you know that your own abilities can be taken away in a moment? One phone call can change everything. It can. This is why you don't even put your own, your, the stock in only just the strength of your hands. You can't do this. Everything that we do, it's always about God. God created us to be beautifully dependent on him. This is also why, beloved, we give. This is why we tithe. Do you know that we giving, you know, when we give, when we tithe, it has nothing to do with your stuff. It has nothing to do with your money. God does not need your money. He doesn't. Tithing has everything to do with the position of your heart. What you put your stock in, what you put your trust in. If you struggle to do what God's asked you to do biblically, it's an indication of where your heart may be. It just is. This is what Matthew 6, 19 says. Don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that cannot be stolen, will never rust, decay, or lose their value. Look at verse 21. For where your heart will always pursue, for your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. It's a litmus test for us. When we tithe, when we give, it shows us really the condition of our heart because we don't know. We just don't know. Now, does this passage say that we can't have stuff? Absolutely not. God says you can have stuff. Just make sure your stuff doesn't have you. Make sure it's not all about your stuff. Make sure it's about him. Your stuff, your status, how people see you, those aren't the things that really makes you happy. Those aren't the things that give you life. Only God can bring you life, abundant life. I want to encourage you. If you have this ridiculous amount of stress over your stuff, over all those things, step back into God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you really how deeply you trust in him. Where, again, do you put your trust? If you don't tithe, if you don't give, I'm going to encourage you, step out and do it. Robin and I give. We tithe, we tithe every month. We do. It's the only time in Scripture where Jesus says, God says, put me to the test. See if I don't bless you. And we don't give so we get stuff. We give because it keeps us in the proper relationship with God. We just do what he asks us to do. And blessings flow. They flow. Even when it's been tight, they flow. As you can tell, I don't miss many meals. That was, that was tough for me to do, McKenna. That was tough for me to do. So what is life to you? Shut your eyes for one second. We're almost done. Let's talk to the Holy Spirit real quick. Just ask him. Say, Spirit, the way I perceive life, is that what you want me to perceive it? Or do I need to have my, my vision adjusted? What do I think life is? And just listen for what he tells you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. The Bible says that his sheep hear his voice. 
If the Holy Spirit speaks something to you, give him permission to adjust the way that you see things. Knowledge, understanding things. So then we move from knowledge, and we're going to put a bow on this now, to belief. What is belief? Jesus looked at Martha. After he put the statement down, he says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? He does the same thing to us today. What does this mean? It means this. Do you really believe that God can and do the things that he says he can do? Now, most everybody in this room will go, yeah, God can do whatever he wants. That's not the sticky point. Here's the question. Do you really believe that God can do all the things that he says he can and he will do through you? Through me? Through the body, through the church? All of us sometimes, beloved, we deal with situations that don't happen the way that we want them to happen. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Even though we don't see it right now, do we still believe? Even the disciples had this happen to them. If you've got your Bibles, flip to Matthew 17 real quick. Verse 14, there's a little passage here that's just so cool. And I think we can get some understanding from it when it comes to our faith struggles. Does anybody in here ever have a faith struggle? Can I put two hands up? All of us do. Matthew 17, 14 says this. They came to where a large crowd had gathered to wait for Jesus. Wait for, uh, a man came and knelt before him, verse 15, and said, Lord, please show uh, your teacher mercy, uh, or your tender mercy toward my son. He is a demon who afflicts him. He is epilepsy and he suffers horribly from seizures. He often falls into cooking fires or into the river. I brought him to your followers, but they were unable to heal him. Did you see 16? Jesus replied, where is your faith? Can't you see how wayward and wrong this generation is? How much longer do I have to stay with you and put up with your doubts? He could feel this guy's lack of faith, but still he pushes forward. He says, bring your son to me. Verse 18, then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was instantly healed. Now I love this. This is the disciples. Later the disciples came to him privately and they asked, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Have you ever had this question? Lord, why can't, why don't I see that happen through me? He told them, it was because of your lack of faith. I promise you, if you had faith inside of you, no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and go over there, and you will see it moved. There is nothing that you couldn't do. Look at verse 21. But this kind can be cast out only through prayer and fasting. Now, I think what's remarkable about this is the disciples' response. Have you ever prayed for somebody and you prayed for God to heal them and they haven't been healed? I have. Have you prayed for things and you're like, God, this would be great if you could do this? And you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and then nothing happens. Now, sometimes amazing things happen. Sometimes things just don't happen. So the disciples have this experience. And notice what they do. They go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, okay, we couldn't get this done. What did we do wrong? Notice what they didn't do. They didn't create a theology around this whole thing to explain away why this thing didn't happen. Hello? We all do that. God just doesn't do that anymore. And I know in this church we don't say that. But sometimes we say that God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways. And all those things are true. But sometimes that's not what we're supposed to say Sometimes the issue isn't that. Sometimes the issue is we don't have enough faith. 
The faith that God gives us to stir those things up isn't present. And the sad thing is this, we don't even recognize it. So the disciples simply go to Jesus and say, what did we do wrong? And what did Jesus say? You just, it's your faith. It's a faith issue. Um, and then he says something here at the end. He says, you know, you know, he says, you know and when you look at this one, it's, it's dealt with you got to pray and fast to get rid of this thing. Now, did you notice something? Jesus didn't have to do that. Why didn't Jesus have to do that? When Jesus cast the demon out, the, the demon left. Why didn't Jesus have to do that? And why, what, what about prayer and fasting? You know, makes, is, is better for us so that we can deal with, with, with situations like that. Do you think that the demon was stronger? Do you think it was, you know, we just got to pray and fast so that God, you know, we kind of charge up God's batteries and God does stuff. Do you think the prayer and the fasting had anything to do with the size of the demon or God's lack of power? What happens when we pray and we fast? Who do we get focused on? God. We get focused on who God is. And then when we pray and we fast, when we spend time with God, we have a better understanding of who he is, who we are, and what God wants to do through us. It had nothing to do with, well, that's just a really tough one. It had everything to do with having them to be in the right place to be able to operate that God wanted to, you know, the way he wanted to operate through him. God created us to do remarkable things, beloved. He created us to bring the kingdom now. John 14, 12 says this. From the words of Jesus, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my Father. Guys, I'm not talking about intergalactic, woo-woo, deep spiritual stuff. I'm talking about you and I bringing God's heart to the planet now. His heart hasn't changed. His heart is to seek and save the lost. His heart is to bring the good news, to see freedom to the captives, to see those that are afflicted healed, to see those that are addicted free. If you don't step up, if I don't step up, if we don't answer the call, who goes to them? You hear me say this all the time. You are God's plan A. There is no plan B. There's no plan B. He left. Greater things will you do than what I did. That you in there, it's you. It's me. Life. When is the last time you did something like Jesus, like this? When is the last time you stepped out and you allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through you to facilitate something incredible, something miraculous? In our house, miracles should be the norm, not the exception. We should expect amazing things to happen. I remember, uh, forgive me, I, just, I feel like i got to share this one last thing, and then we're going we're gonna to get done. We're a church in Denver, and uh, you know, every church, you've got pillars in your church. We had one of our, our ladies come up, and she wasn't that old. I want to say she was probably in her early 50s. And uh, she came up on a Sunday morning, she was just distraught. I'm not going to use her name because she may watch. I said, what's going on? She goes, well, she goes, I just got back from the doctor. She says, I have stage four cancer. I said, man, that, that's awful. She says, I haven't been feeling good. And all these things, she goes, just, it's been crazy. Um, she goes, I don't know what to do. She goes, but pastor, just pray, you know, pray for everything to go. And I said, I'll pray for you now. She goes, no, no, I don't need to be prayed for right now. She goes, I've, I got I to talk to mom. I got to talk to people. I said, okay. 
So she left. So she came back. You know, see her every week. She'd slip in at the end of the service, or before we, you know, after we start, and slip in before we left. So things progressed, and you saw her get weaker and weaker and weaker. So finally, one day she comes up, and she's like, I don't think I have much longer now. She says, I've given away all my stuff. I've moved in with my mother. She goes, I'm going to live out my last days here. I looked at her. I said, man, I said, before you take this road, let's just pray with you. Has anybody prayed with you? She goes, no, I just, I haven't felt like I, I just, I don't, I don't know if that works. I said, it doesn't matter if you know if it works or not. I said, let's just pray for you. I said, let's bring you up. Let's get the elders. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to pray for you. I said, what do you have to lose? There's nothing to lose. She goes, oh, okay, pastor. Everything I should. She comes up and we pray for her and nothing magical happens. You ever had those times? I think, okay, well, we prayed for her. We did what we're supposed to do. And she cried and she hugged us and she left. I don't see her the next week. And two weeks later, she goes back to church and everything's different. She was gray. There's life flowing through her body. And she runs up to the front of the church. She says, Pastor, I have to talk to you. It's before our, like, we have a Saturday night, two Sunday morning. It's like right after our first Sunday morning service. I go, what's going on? What's going on? She goes, the craziest thing happened. She said, you prayed for me, you guys. And I started to feel better. First, I thought, I'm just thinking, it's just, it's just, it can't be real. She was, I started to feel so good. I went in for my cancer check, you know, thing for my chemo and stuff like that. And it was the end of it. She goes, and, or it was right before they were going to be, begin stuff. She didn't want chemo and stuff like that. She told the doctor she felt really good. And they said, well, let's just take a blood scan and you see what's going on in you. She says, and all that stuff, she goes, I'm fine. It's gone. She goes, but I don't know what to do. I said, what do you mean? You have life. She goes, yeah, but I live with my mother. <laughs> True story. And I gave away all my stuff. I said, well, I'm sure if you ask your friends, they'll give you your stuff back. Did you sell it? No, I just gave it away. She looked at me. She goes, this works. This works? Yeah, it works. You believe it works. If you believe it, step out. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be intergalactic. God may not ask you to look at somebody's tattoo and say something. But I can tell you what he is asking you to do, to pray for the sick, to reach out to those that are broken, to love those that are unlovable, to give God a shot, to be who he says he is. Step out in the miraculous. So we're going to do something crazy today. You ready for this? We're going to actually pray for those <laughs> that might be sick to be healed. I know, it's bananas. And let's just see what God would do. So here's my question to do as we, as we close. Forgive me for going a little long today. Bow your heads. I'm going to echo to you the words that Jesus spoke to Martha. Do you believe this? Not my words, the words of Christ. Do you believe this? Can you hear Jesus asking you that question? TJ, do you believe this? Sue, do you believe this? Chris, do you believe this? Dan, do you believe this? Fred, do you believe this? What's your answer? We answer Christ, not just with words, but how we live our lives. So some of you are here today and you're walking through impossible situations. 
You know people in your life that are walking through impossible things. Today is the day to let your belief, let the rubber hit the road. So I just want you to take a minute, listen to the Spirit as you speak those things out and ask Him what He'd have you do. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.